Today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast is sponsored by our friends at Colorado Startups. Their mission is to connect startups with needed capital and talent to build industry-changing companies in Colorado. They are the largest online community of founders in the state and a great resource for local entrepreneurs building a big company. All right. <clears throat> How's my hair look? Is my hair good? I know yours yeah, is awesome. It's good. I, I brought some for the both of us. <laughs> Man, I love that hairdo. Uh, that is, uh, that, is that tough to keep up with? No, not at all. It's just, it's all genetic. I just, I wash it once or twice a week and that's about it. Wow. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't have that problem, obviously. <laughs> yeah, you're a lot faster, more efficient. Is, was your dad, did, you, did your dad have a, a, a big head full of hair, like long, oh, yeah. you know, late, later in life? Yeah, so he had just like super curly fro hair, and then my mom has like wavy blonde hair. Yeah, he still, it seems like I'm going to be able to hold on to my hair for a while. I think I'm, okay. I'm skipping the, the bald. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Uh, if, if I go bald on top, I'll just grow a giant beard. Jack, why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit personally before we get into business and food and all that. Give the listeners a little background, family, where you grew up, stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, I had a great childhood and I'm very thankful. And I think every year that goes by, I become more and more appreciative of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up in Marin County, which is uh, 30 minutes above San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So growing up in the Bay Area during the 90s, early 2000s, um, just loved hanging out, uh, playing outside, biking, skateboarding, spent a lot of time taking the bus into San Francisco um, to skateboard with like all the skaters down on the pier cool. and found out like I was doing that really young. I was doing that like nine or 10 years old by myself, taking the bus in from Marin, skating all day. But it really opened me up to culture and different types of people and um, really was a melting pot in the Bay Area back then. And so um, I feel like that upbringing led me to being really open and excited to meet new types of people and uh, travel and work in the industry that I work in. Only child or did you have siblings? Only child, but I hated it. So I had like uh, all my best friends from my neighborhood who I like adopted as my siblings. And I've known the same group of guys since I was four years old. Is that right? Is that right? What'd your folks do? Uh, my dad is a gynecologist, uh, women's health uh, professional. He's now retired but working more than ever and he's uh speaking all over the country so ah, right now nice. he's helping uh, women's health clinics uh deal with COVID-19 so he's on he's on more zoom calls than I am <laughs> how about your mom um she's an ex-nurse which is how they met and then oh, yeah. he does a lot of volunteering in the uh healthcare space did you did you ever ask him the story? Was she like walking down the hall in the hospital, and he's like, "Oh, what, what's your yeah, name?" Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I put two and two together. They're at UCLA. Uh, I think he was doing his residency. Yeah, UCLA, LA, back in the eighties. So I didn't ask. That's too good. Much. That's a pretty cool story. Walk us yeah. through your early career, like some of the stuff you did early on, and I think you had a, a startup even before food. So walk yeah. us through a little bit of that, so we get some history before we get into food. Of course, absolutely. So a uh, really untraditional uh, career path. And um, I went to boarding school during high school, came back, credits were sort of messed up. So I didn't go straight into four year. I actually moved to Israel and worked on a, a plastic factory on a kibbutz oh. uh, when I was 17. And really? So gap year. Yeah, really, really wild. I just called the kibbutz one day during the summer. I was like, hey, can I come work there? 
And they were like, sure, like learn Hebrew and join the army. Ended up not joining the army, moved back. Um, Jumped into political science in school and really realized I wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted to do in the world and sort of make the changes I wanted to see through politics. I just realized how broken the system was. Heard uh, feedback from people who had graduated. They said, yeah, everything moves really slow in D.C. And at that point, I like started hearing stories about Elon Musk. Um, things had really started blowing up in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, and you started seeing tech migrate into the city from the valley. And I had a bunch of friends at CU Boulder, and uh, someone was actually uh, just kicking off a coding boot camp. And a, bu- a bunch of friends just be like, hey, come out to Boulder. Everybody's amazing. The mountains are amazing. I was a big snowboarder, so I was like, all right. And then they're like, take this boot camp and see if you like tech. Moved out to Boulder, literally packed up my truck, had my big Honda scooter in the back, three snowboards, everything in a duffel bag. And I was like, <laughs> in the hallway in Boulder. It was hilarious. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this boot camp and then go back to the city or go back to San Francisco and just jump into sales um, at one of the big startups. And that did not happen. I became obsessed with Boulder, just loved the community, loved the energy. And um, then the idea was, okay, I'm going to do this boot camp. did the boot camp, realized I was not a developer. I couldn't code, couldn't focus on my computer for that long. I loved people. And I was like, no, I want to start a startup and be on the people-facing side. You I were hooked. Be- you were hooked. You, you went to Boulder hooked. and got, got hooked. on by the bug like everybody said. <laughs> well, the next plan was I was actually going to go back to CU Boulder and um, do their entrepreneurial program, go through leads. And uh, in between the summer of when that was going to happen, I actually did Startup Summer, uh, which is a program in Boulder. And a oh, bunch okay. of mentors connected me into Startup Summer at a pitch for a, a, a late night drunk uh, food discovery app called Drunchies. And I actually <laughs> won the Boulder regional pitch competition. So that was cool. like great for the ego. Like, yeah, this is going well. <laughs> that through Startup Summer, that did well. And then Startup Summer actually connected me with Shina Steve, which was the first startup that I worked at in Boulder and um, sort of from there I I just I got even more hooked I came into Shinesty maybe at like nine to ten employees I think it was 20 employees when I left um, seven months later it was sort of a short stint Um, e-commerce wasn't really my thing and I I just realized like I love the energy I love how fast paced it is here Um, but I had a couple other industries that I wanted to check out so from there, it was like, okay, I'd rather work than go back to school. And so it was just jumping into early stage startups. Okay. And um, from there, I worked for a, a social impact online university called Ubiquity University. Oh. And that was actually um, the CMO of the company was my best friend's dad. And I had worked for him when I was back in uh, the Bay Area. Okay. And he brought me into Ubiquity Ubiquity had just launched and it was sustainability, entrepreneurship, leadership, all these things that I was incredibly passionate about. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time in my career that I had had a team who was like, we love your work and we value your participation on this team. And I really went from just a member on the creative team um, to sort of a five year on and off stint at Ubiquity. And at the height of that, um, I was the head of marketing communications. So um, helped hire people onto the creative team, 
redesigned websites, built marketing funnels, um, uh, helped run international partnerships in Egypt and Colombia with a large student-run organization called ISIC, and um, really felt what it was like to be a core member of a team. I was, I was sitting on the leadership team, sitting in on all the C-level meetings, nice. uh, making decisions that really impacted the direction of the company. And um, that was amazing. It did a lot for me professionally, did a lot for me with my confidence and knowing what I was capable of. And that led me to believe that it was time for me to start my own company. And had an opportunity um, to found a company in the elder healthcare space. And the company was called Pauline. And uh, Pauline came from a problem that I saw in my own family. My elderly aunt Pauline had two caregivers and there was a lot of issues with managing those caregivers. And even though my parents were medical professionals, they struggled with her day-to-day care just because they had really outdated paper and pen tools. And I was like, look, heck problem, I can solve this. I built a management platform called Pauline Care. And it was a uh, 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 online dashboard where family members could manage caregivers through a cell phone app. And all the information for day-to-day care was transferred between the dashboard and the phone app. And it was great. Uh, Ran it part-time for two years while I was still consulting at Ubiquity University. Uh, Raised a a pre-seed round, built the MVP, hired a few co-founders, brought on a few other employees. Ended up making the big mistake of this was all in Boulder still. And I moved back to San Francisco. Moved back Mm -hmm. for some family reasons, but um, ended up actually moving in at like, what, 27 26, 27 years old with my 92-year-old grandmother. And she was one of our first beta users because she had a caregiver and I was living in the house watching them use the app. And it was great, but I ended up moving from her house in Lucas Valley back into San Francisco. And the cost of living in San Francisco is just not set up for entrepreneurs who are bootstrapping. And really, I, I missed the gap in between being able to really raise a significant like $1.5 million seed round mm. and getting everything launched. So it was too early. Customer acquisition cost was too high and I simply didn't have the money to bootstrap it myself. Ah. So I put that on hold, went back to consulting, um, uh, got back into sales in San Francisco, really realized corporate was not my place in the city started looking again for my my sweet spot which is early stage and um then COVID hit everything got crazy and in january um alex parmley the ceo of food gave me a call he's like hey um we're uh pivoting everything at food we're moving to an api platform and product uh we would like you on board and i had met alex probably a year or two before, and he had just been like, dude, love the energy, love the hustle, join us at food. And I was like, no, 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 I have my own startup. Like, (laughs) I have to see it through. This is a great opportunity. Like, I don't give up on things. I'm sticking with this. And then this January, really just things aligned. I was looking for that energy and that hustle again. And I, I knew it was at food. And since then, it is just—it's been a wild ride. Um, and you and you joined them in what January? Yeah, January. I mean, officially it was like uh, maybe uh, February or March, but I, I began seriously talking with them in January and 
and moved moved back to Boulder? Yeah, ended up moving back to Boulder at the end of June. My girlfriend and I were in uh, San Francisco. We were doing remote work, but everybody started moving out of San Francisco. I think I have like a right. couple who still live there. It's the mass exodus. And we were like, we're going to move to San or move back to Colorado. And everybody was like, really? We we're like, yeah. So we found a great place. We're in Denver next to Sloan's Lake. And awesome. um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's been great being back in Colorado. And it's been interesting because I was away from Colorado for two years. And it's interesting seeing how the startup industry has grown just within the two years. And I keep telling everybody, I'm like, you need to be careful about how this industry is growing. Like, I mean, even Paul, like, he's really one of the big movers and shakers in the startup industry here. And mm -hmm. there, to me, there's a warning of too much growth too fast is going to turn into a situation like San Francisco, where you lose all the culture, you lose all the innovation. To me, it's like, there's no more startup hustle in San Francisco. It's just massive checks and blitz scaling and mm -hmm. uh, what model can we attach to the product and it's more about the model than it is about the actual problem that you're solving mm -hmm. and to me there's there's a big issue with that and i talk with a lot of people back in san francisco about that and i talk to a lot of people here in colorado and i think there definitely is a sentiment to yeah we want to keep colorado and keep the innovation and and sort of the energy around the community but then mm -hmm. there's also a lot of people in colorado who are like we need to get more big checks. We need those uh, the founders fund, the, the Bassemer checks. Like we need those tier one investors investing money in Colorado. And I'm like, okay, yeah. But I haven't, I haven't, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs on this show and I haven't heard anybody bring that up, but it's a, that's a good point that you're making there. I, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate that assessment. Yeah. I can yeah. see where that could, I can see where that could happen. So give us the overview then on food. If for, the, for the folks that have no idea what we're talking about, give us the three-minute elevator pitch. Go for it. <laughs> of course. So um, food has created an API and virtual debit card that allows college students to use their campus dining dollars to order food from third-party vendors such as DoorDash. Um, we're launching with uh, two universities, uh, University of Toronto and Cal State San Marcos, okay. um, as well as DoorDash. And then we're gonna be using Stripe um, as the um, other partner in the mix right now for virtual debit cards. And um, the reason this is really important is because $1.8 billion gets wasted every year in the campus dining space because students hate the dining food. Like they hate, cafeteria food. They hate the options that are on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, when we were doing initial surveys in the beginning of the year, 100% of students came back and said, yes, we would absolutely use food if it was available at our campus. And that made me really excited being on the go-to-market side. Like, you never get 100% of people saying yes. So um, really, we're launching right now because there's an opening in the market. Traditionally, okay. universities are really long sales cycle but COVID is driving innovation in every sector. And it's especially driving innovation in the sectors that are being hit the hardest. And as everybody mm. knows, universities are taking a beating right now. So when we're making these calls, our, our SDRs, our, our sales teams, they're like, yeah, people are calling us. We're getting inbound now. Like we're setting up meetings. Can you talk tomorrow? Can you talk next week? Not, oh yeah, we're gonna kick the can down the road. Uh -huh. And uh, the universities are looking for safe ways to deliver food to college students. And with our, our product and partnership, 
DoorDash can deliver contactless food anywhere that students are. So whether they're learning virtually, learning off campus, or they're on campus and they don't want to go to the dining hall because of uh, uh, COVID issues, mm -hmm. the university still want to be able to keep them on the dining plan. And actually with our partnership, we're going to be off, or DoorDash is offering free delivery for college students. So it incentivizes um, sophomores, juniors, and seniors who may drop off the meal plan to buy back into the meal plan just to get that benefit of free Dash Pass for food. Wow. So, so it's the meal, the meal plan that I would uh, use on campus. I can just transfer those dollars to DoorDash and order Pizza Hut or whatever. Absolutely. So the way it works is our API actually connects with that dining account, that student's dining account. And then the actual uh, transportation method is that virtual debit card. So that virtual debit card is attached to our API. The API connects with the dining dollars account. And then that student can then plug in that virtual debit card number into DoorDash or other partners who we partner with. And that's sort of the exciting long-term. Like this would be fun if we were just doing delivery. Delivery is just our foot in the door in the campus space. There's so much money within the university system. From here, we can go into spending and transportation. We're already talking to Lyft. Go into housing, go into uh, college campus bookstores, partner with someone like Chegg. Um, eventually, the sort of uh, top of this entire uh, product suite is actually looking at credit systems within uh, the college system. Uh, university students, if we're able to attach a secure credit line uh, to the debit card, they can actually build credit while they're in college. So when they get out as a senior and graduate, they have access to a five to $10,000 credit line when they really need it, when they're looking for a, a, a job, mm -hmm. looking for an apartment. And we actually have a partner um, who we're working with right now who wants to build that secure credit line. And um, there's some really exciting opportunities in this space. But again, right now we're focused on getting into the universities, growing with DoorDash, um, growing market share in the U.S. and Canada. And then um, once we get into market, we have a lot more opportunities. I have, I have a couple of questions on the model itself. So, so do, do you pay, how do you guys make money? Is it, does the users, you know, pay a, to download the app or yeah, walk me through it. So um, at food, we spend a lot of time looking at the model and how do we create a win, win, win situation. Okay. And a lot of times that's difficult, but we're really confident that what we have built is going to create a win for everyone. And okay. right now the way food makes money is we make interchange off of the virtual debit card. So that's just transactions coming through and at scale, that's a significant revenue stream. The okay. second piece is actually off of a revenue share with the partners. So for instance, DoorDash coming in, they're giving us a revenue share of every student who's signed up using this. So normally they would have a customer acquisition cost. We're cutting out that customer acquisition cost mm. and giving them a long-term uh, four-year LTV of a student in theory, just using DoorDash, because if they're getting free Dash Pass, they're going to use DoorDash over any of the other delivery platforms. I see. Okay, good, good. And what about and then, the college? Yeah, go ahead. The, the third piece is actually us signing on merchants. So any merchants that we sign on in local college towns, which is a big initiative at food, just to support the local environment, we I actually see. take a one-time onboarding fee from merchants as well as partners. 
I see. What about the universities? Uh, are they, do they pay you in any way for this or how does that work? No, so they're actually getting benefited as well. So um, part of that revenue share gets kicked over to the universities because traditionally they're, they're making a percentage on the meals sold in their uh, dining hall and in their facilities. So mm. they're making a cut of this as well. And for them, what their benefit is, is they're opening up their doors. They're doing a lot of marketing. So for instance, at uh, University of Toronto, uh, we have a very um, in-depth, uh, detailed marketing launch plan where they're going to be putting food all over the campus, all over their digital platform, um, in the newsletters. They want to get this to as many students as possible because it's a it's a quality service that they know their students are looking for, and then that volume of the orders benefits the university in the long run. I mean, I'm 53 years old, but I can re remember my college days. And if you would have told me I could have used my meal plan dollars to order Pizza Hut delivered to my dorm room instead of going to the cafeteria. I mean, that's a no brainer. I would have oh, yeah. signed up. <laughs> I mean, even, even better than that, I think it's, you have so many new diets. Well, we spend a lot of time talking to users. We were talking to one-on-one -on -one focus groups, sending out surveys and there's paleo, there's keto, there's gluten-free, there's right, all right. these plant-based, right. vegan, a million different diets that students are becoming more aware of, following mm. religiously, and with all, all the information, they want access to those options. Mm. And schools really struggle delivering those options in a variety. So we're, I mean, we have an interview somewhere on YouTube talking to um, a couple vegetarian students at CU Boulder, and they're just like, yeah, CU Boulder is great, but like, their dining facility, we're eating bread most of the time because we don't have enough vegetarian. <laughs> it's getting boring. And some uh, of these kids, they're spending $10,000 over their four years at university. On top of the meal, on top, on yeah, top of the meal plan. Yeah. Meal plan, $10,000 on food outside of the dining plan. And to the universities, when you tell them that and you say you could get a cut of that. And then when you go to the parents and say, look, instead of you giving your child money to buy food, we all know what college kids do with a little cash in their pocket. Yeah. They know that the money on the food card is actually going towards food. So with the food debit card, they're, they're working with specific partners and they're not able to order alcohol or tobacco from DoorDash. So it's really, it gives the parents the, the peace of mind knowing that their student or their child is just ordering food with that money. Does the university make as much money or more if they use meal plan dollars in the cafeteria versus an outside place? Less upfront, more overall, because um, right now this is, these are the numbers that we're showing in our, our pilot program um, or proving in our pilot program. But again, from our, our surveys or research, we're very confident that this is going to be true, that the overall buy-in to the meal plan is going to raise their bottom line. I so, see. Um, they're they're making a fractional, uh, a couple points, um, depending on the school, less than they would make at their normal dining program. But again, the buy-in is really what the university. I see. And that's see. outside of COVID, because during COVID, most of these dining programs are just completely being scrapped. Universities are having to refund money from the dining plan to students. And that's just a massive headache. So when we can go to them during COVID, again, we have a real 
window here to, to jump in and, and help people out, help the universities specifically, then we're able to save them the revenue that they would normally have to. Uh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I mean, I would have signed up for it. <laughs> I would have signed up for it for sure. So you say you're just now kind of launching, meaning, meaning you're, you're yeah. getting a restaurant. Yeah. Tell us where you're at in the life cycle. Of course. So we have a soft launch um, uh, later this fall with the University of Toronto and okay. Cal State San Marcos. We want to get things in place right around Thanksgiving. So we're able to kick the tires, make sure the tech is working uh, with smaller groups. And then um, come Q1 January, spring semester, then we'll have a full launch at those two schools to run out a semester long pilot program. Um, Cal State San Marcos is an awesome opportunity because they have 22 other campuses. So if we can show success from an initial pilot, then there's a great chance that we'll be moving into the rest of the campus system uh, come fall 2021. Sounds like an awesome thing you guys got going on. Now, what about the entrepreneurial bug that lives inside Jack that says, he, I want to start my own thing, though? What about that? How are you going to keep him fed? I mean, running operations, uh, being COO at food is definitely a full-time commitment. I think um, with age has come more focus and seeing that success does come from being laser focused. But you're right, there's something in my brain that I cannot turn off. <laughs> um, I mean, really the stuff that is intriguing me, stuff I do research on the side, uh, is really around the sustainability industry. I was hooked sort of into the impact of climate change through working at Ubiquity University, um, gotcha. sort of kicking around ideas of the school of sustainability and really teaching people. And um, that has stuck with me. Um, I, I talk with the folks over at Drawdown, um, still have a couple contacts at the UN who I work with at Ubiquity University, and I'm very tapped into that industry as a whole. And so I think after food, it's definitely that focus is like, okay, after food, then I'm going to take the success from food and just dump that right into sustainability. And I haven't decided yet whether that's going to be in the food <laughs> sector, energy, um, or maybe even right in the middle in education. I think education is tough because especially for sustainability education, there's not a high ROI yet, but um, it's something that's necessary. And I think um, I've, I've got the experience and more so the drive to make it a reality. Sounds like food's going to benefit from you being there as long as you are, but uh, you know, you got, you got big dreams as well. By the oh, way, yeah. for, the, for the listeners, food, P-H-O-O-D.co food.co uh, is, uh, is you now if you're interested now should they check back later if, if you're check a student honestly it's an amazing company anybody looking uh to learn more about it feel free to reach out to me it's jack okay. car you'll you'll see my name spelled somewhere but um i'm really active on linkedin feel free to reach out to me there um we are currently in the middle of our seed round um, we've been working with uh, angel funds, but ah. we're looking to close that round in the next couple of months. So well, um, for you guys. yeah, thank you. Yeah. There's a lot of movement right now. We're definitely looking at doing a lot of hiring in January, launching these two pilots and um, yeah, always, you, always looking for conversations. I stay. Are there. you, uh, are, are you in the pitch conversations? Are you, are you in the, the, the dinners where you're trying to ask somebody to write a check? Oh. Are you in those conversations? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I did a lot of, or I, I participated in fundraising at Ubiquity, did all the fundraising at Pauline. Um, Alex, my, or the CEO is a 
um, great salesman, really holds the vision of food. Um, he sells the vision, the excitement, brings the energy, has the founding story. And I come in with the operations piece of we're going to do ABC and it's going to produce XYZ at the end. I love it. How did you meet Alex again? Um, actually, honestly, through Paul Foley. Uh, we were at Paul's apartment um, nice. with a small group of entrepreneurs and uh, Alex was out on the balcony and he just he had a different style than everybody else. Everybody was in their button-ups and their kind of, no. Anyways, he just smiled <laughs> about him and we just really connected and hit it off and yeah. uh, definitely in the social setting and then moved uh, to more professional relationship after that. You know, one of the things the listeners should be picking up on is, you know, Jack has told, told you several times here throughout this podcast, he, he puts himself in the right uh, company right? You, you put yourself in the right, the right town, the right company, the right social settings, you meet the right people, hang out with the right people. Um, and you, you never know what kind of doors can open for you, right? I mean, you meet, you meet somebody, the next thing you know, they're calling saying, hey, come be my COO. I mean, this is how it works. This is how life works. I, that's, that's one of my, I would say one of my greatest qualities or strengths, whatever you want to call it. Definitely what has led to the success that I have today is always I mean, something as simple as saying hello, being open, right. trying, trying to meet someone. Like I have the bigger metaphor of like, I always take a swing at something. Like I'm, I'm never going to just sit there and let the balls go past me. I'm always going to take a swing and try to hit yeah. a home run. Why and not? What, exactly. Yeah. Shoot my shot. And, and yep. I think a lot of people are afraid of failure. And that's actually something I learned in Israel. And I was like, I could live in Israel and sit on the couch and read my book and talk to people back in the States, or I could go out and just never say no to anything in Israel. And like, I had such an amazing experience that that literally stuck with me. Like my mm. friends in Israel always tease me. They're like, I think your goal is to meet everybody in this country. And I was like, <laughs> the population of New Jersey. So like, it's possible. So, <laughs> that was Good sort point. Of the mind uh, frame that I learned from there is just go out and meet people, get connected. You're never going to do anything sitting on a couch. And I mean, right. unless you're coding an app yourself, which was something I couldn't do. So I flipped it and I just met. Yeah. Besides the networking, which is great advice. Mm -hmm. what, what else would you tell an aspiring entrepreneur out there that uh, has an idea and wants to start his own thing based on what you've learned so far? What would you, what would you uh, tell them today? Don't give up. I mean, I think that's been a big piece throughout all of this is, there, you have to learn about when to pivot. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, one of the hardest things to do was shut down Pauline because to me that was giving up. But at the time I looked at everything and I said, okay, right now the timing is going to be three years from now and there'll be more money, this and that and the other. But overall it's sticking through because I think mm. the line of failure and success is so close and it's so scary because like when you feel like you're right about to fail, like success may be one more door away. It may be 10 yards down the field. And there's so many times where I'm like, I almost gave up there. And if I would have given up, I wouldn't be where I am now, but I pushed through that little extra and it made a world of difference. So I would Good tell there's going to be a hundred people, like even the investor analogy of you're going to get a hundred no's from investors to get that one yes. And once you get that one yes, that may be the win 
that drives a, a massive company. And, and look at it historically, look at Airbnb. They were almost out of business before they got, uh, they joined Y Combinator and, and that really launched things for them. There's so many stories of people almost giving up and then they didn't. And then that led to this sort of rocket ship experience. Oh, you're so right, my friend. Great advice for the listeners. I appreciate it. I have a, a wrap up question here for you. Perfect. At this stage in your life, how would you define Jack's core purpose? It's interesting. I think that's sort of what wakes me up in the morning and has made it so I haven't jumped into a more corporate safe role. And it's the same thing that I got hit with sort of before I went to boarding school, even in like eighth grade. And what led me to think that I wanted to study political science, which was um, I want to uh, make a difference in the world. I want to help people. And that sounds really simple, but I want to help people on a big scale. And um, to me, growing up in Marin County, there's a lot of money there, like a lot of money. And I realized very at a very young age that just money didn't make people happy. I would see guys rolling around in a convertible Rolls Royce and they just look miserable. Right. And you would see these people with these mansions and they'd be miserable. And I'm like, all right, like just money doesn't make you happy. And I just realized the happiest people that I've seen through my life are the people who had that core purpose of like, I'm on a mission to help people out. And again, like it's getting, my focus is getting more narrow of who those people are and what problems I'm going to solve. But like, I want to be 80, 90 years old and look back and instead of saying, well, here's my career success. And this is what my career, this block of time, my career. I don't even like that word professional career. It's like, I want to look back and be like, what problems did I solve? Mm. What, what people did I really impact? I mean, one more quote that I, I think sort of wraps that up is um, one of the uh, gentlemen I met at Isaac in, I think it was Columbia. Um, he just, he had this thing. He was up, up on stage. He's like, I want to be a billionaire. And everybody's like, oh, of course you want to be a billionaire. He's like, no, I don't want to be that billionaire. I want to impact a billion people. Oh, personally impact a billion people. And like just the shivers, everybody's like, oh, they just look crazy. <laughs> and like, I was just like that, that I get that. And I feel that. And like, that is what's going to create happiness. And like money does come with that. I think I'm going to be able to, to build a ranch someday, have a bunch of animals and a sustainable farm that, uh, I love what we live off of. And I think it's important to keep those personal goals in mind. But also, again, for me, it's really waking up and like, how do I progress my career to give myself the opportunity and the freedom to be able to achieve these bigger goals. And cool. I learned a lot of that from my mom and dad. They're, my dad and, and my mom really were the ones who instilled that. And really that was my dad's mission being in the profession he was in he didn't go uh, private practice and become a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He went into public health and he worked in, he worked at UCSF. He's a medical professor, all of those things because he had this mission to advance uh, women's health. And so I, I think I learned a lot from that. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jack. I appreciate it. I love that core purpose. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast, my friend. It's been great. I, I love doing this sort of stuff and it was great speaking with you. Absolutely. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel 
and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.